As a growing part of the healthcare team, we have seen it firsthand. The medical students who gather in the cafeteria over lunch to complain about their instructors, but don't take action to improve the curriculum. The surgeons who congregate in the lounge to grumble about how the scrub nurse wouldn't hand them their instruments in the correct direction, but don't work with the scrub nurse so that she can improve for the next surgery. The nurses who continually chat about the patients and physicians who are rude. As a community of healthcare workers, complaining is not just common, it is endemic. Medicine is difficult and we're not perfect, but that doesn't mean that a culture of complaining should be the only way we share our dissatisfaction and identify problems in the healthcare system. These tendencies may be perceived as positive coping strategies to deal with the challenges of working in healthcare, but we believe this has unintentional negative consequences on the professional culture and medicine. In the first of our two-part series on tragic optimism, we will dissect the culture of complaining in medicine and try to make the case for tragic optimism as a mindset that can improve your satisfaction as a member of the healthcare team. Welcome to Leading the Rounds. Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Leading the Rounds. Just as a reminder, if you like what we're doing and you want to support us, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or a follow on Spotify. You can connect with us on social media, Instagram, at Leading the Rounds, or email us at leadingtherounds at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in to the first of our two-part series on tragic optimism. Today, we're going to dissect the culture of complaining that we seem to have self-prescribed as a stereotype as medical students or people in medicine. So with that, let's just get into it. Caleb, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter. How about you? I can't complain. So why don't you um, start us off by, why, why do you think complaining is so common in medicine? Yeah, I think there are many different reasons why complaining is so common. But I think one of the main ones is that working in medicine is very difficult. There are many different factors that contribute to this. You know, we're, we're working as a part of a team, a complex team. There's immense stress as a part of the healthcare team. We have to work long hours and the stakes in medicine are extremely high. While many other fields, mistakes can be easily fixed. In medicine, we're in an environment where the stakes are life and death. And so mistakes aren't something that is easily fixed in medicine. So I think a few of these things contribute to why there is so much stress. And then all of that stress, I think, leads to complaining and a culture where we see complaining a lot. Yeah, and I definitely have felt that even during the first years of medical school. I, I, I feel like there's even added responsibility for myself, even when we're in, you know, the clinic with a real physician. Um, you still have, like, you're someone still being open and, and, uh, and honest with you about problems that they may be self-conscious about. So feeling that burden of responsibility uh, for others' trusts kind of is challenging in a way. And it does place stress. And also, not to mention, there's just so much information that we have to learn to be effective doctors and be able to not even not just manage it, stress, manage people properly. So it's definitely one of those things that's really challenging. And I think as medical students too, there's so much responsibility placed on us to learn all these things and so many different responsibilities that we have to undertake. 
that it's easy to complain and say that they're putting too much on us or we're not getting enough time off or there's there's other things that we want to do with our lives where you know we're making the decision to be in medicine we're making the decision to do this so it's really we have to find a balance between recognizing that there is a lot going on and that there is a lot of stress put on us but also finding ways not to just complain about it and not to just um use complaining as a rate event and and i will say um i'm glad you brought up how much we have to learn i've after reflecting on myself and like when i felt the most dissatisfied as a student is when i feel like the the people that i'm looking towards to teach me like our preceptors and our uh, our teachers when i feel like they're not meeting my needs as a student and that's when i feel the most um the most upset and that's when i feel like i want to just complain to somebody about you know professor x y or z is really getting on my nerves today because they're not doing A, B, or C. And I think that, as we uh, were alluding to, is, is not, it doesn't look good on yourself, but it also doesn't cast that professor in a good light who necessarily didn't do anything to you. And it kind of just starts to build in this culture of negativity. So I've been trying to like find opportunities instead of just complaining to like even maybe make actionable change and use use this dissatisfaction that I feel less as a way to this is energy that I just build up and vent and more as a way to identify problems and uh, things that we can change as a team. And I think you brought up a great distinction there that I want to talk about really quick. And that's, you know, when we say don't complain and when we say complaining is, is negative, we don't mean that you just need to accept the status quo. And we don't mean that you have to accept being treated poorly and to accept things that are unjust in medicine. What we're instead saying is, that we don't think complaining is the outlet to, to do that and to change the future. And so what Peter was getting at there is instead of complaining, instead of just venting, finding positive ways to make change and positive ways to have the situation not come up for those in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you're upset about something, there's probably a reason why. And if there's something you can do about it, then I know, do it. And then if there's not, then there's not. So why are you upset? You can't control it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Just the stoic in me. <laughs> <laughs> so Peter, why, why, do you, why does it matter that we don't complain? So we talked a little bit about why we think complaining is common, why we think students do it and people in medicine do it. Why should it matter that we make the choice not to complain? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so one of the, the big topics in, I, I don't want to say healthcare, but maybe in the practice of healthcare is physician burnout. And it's something that we talked about with um, Tom said a little bit. Uh, and he believes that autonomy is one thing that contributes to burnout. But another thing that contributes to burnout could be the, like having a negative work culture. So in a systematic review from JAMA of 182 studies of burnout, there was a wide range of reporting of of burnout. So anywhere between zero and 80.5% of physicians reported feeling burnt out in these different studies, which all took place across different parts of the world. And I can't help but think, but maybe the authors had suggested that it was due to the the way that the burnout was rated and the questions that they had used in those studies, which definitely could contribute to it. But most studies of burnout don't really dissect the culture around medicine and what happens on an interpersonal 
level between professionals and a healthcare team. And so if you hypothetically work in a very negative environment, it's going to, you're going to feel like everything around you is just negative when it, it might not really even be that bad. Um, it's, it's like, like if, even if you're the one complaining, you you, you are putting this negative mindset in yourself and changing the lens of, with which you view the place that you work. Yeah. It's kind of like frequency illusion. Mm-hmm. And what we mean by that is like the idea that if you see, if somebody brings up a type of car or a color of a car and you're thinking about it, then you start to see that car all over now. And it's the idea that what you think about comes to reality and what you see and what you're, you pay attention to in the real world. So if we pay attention and we're constantly thinking about negativity and about complaining, then we're going to see more opportunities to complain and more negativity around us. What we think about is going to in turn be what we focus on. Another kind of neuroscience idea that I thought fit here is neuroplasticity, which goes right along with the frequency illusion. Basically what neuroplasticity says is that we build patterns and we build connections in our brain. And every time we exercise those patterns or connections, they become stronger. So if every time that you have a conflict or you have something negative happen to you, your first instinct is to complain about it and to get down on yourself and to be negative, then that pattern is going to be strengthened over time. And that's going to be your default setting in life. Mm-hmm. And if we instead try to flip the script and try to not complain, or if we think something is unjust, we take action instead over time, that's going to be your default setting. And that's going to be what you do when you see cases of injustice or you feel hurt. Yeah. I was going to say the, the, the nice part about having this neuroplasticity built into humans makes us adaptable and, you know, if you ingrain yourself in being negative, yes, it's bad, but it also gives you the ability to change your mindset. And hopefully we can present you today with a mindset that's better than negativity. Um, and it's, just to like, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's kind of like habit building in a way. You're just building positive mm-hmm. habits in your mind. So yeah. when something happens, your mind is able to have that habit of, you know what, something really crappy happened. Like, something that used to be able to ruin my whole day happen, but instead, you know, I'm not going to complain about it. I'm not going to get down. I'm going to instead focus on the positives or I'm going to instead work towards change. So just to bring the culture back into it, if you're working in a place where you're seeing people who are negative, you have in your brain, these, these specialized neurons that help you feel and understand what other people are doing just by seeing them. And they're called mirror neurons. And they're a really powerful way for us to, to learn just by observing our environment. So Peter, in case anybody doesn't know what a mirror neuron is, what are, what are mirror neurons? Yeah, so as, as I just mentioned a little bit, mirror neurons are a specialized neuron in your brain that they fire in patterns that are similar to the actions that you're viewing. So in the original studies, I believe they were working with monkeys and they showed monkeys, other monkeys doing things. And then we were able to map the firing of the firing patterns of the passive monkeys watching this to the specific regions of the brain that that they then defined as mirror neurons, which are only fired when they were observing something, some activity. And this was a way for the monkeys to learn the activity that they were watching. As you can tell, I'm not a neuroscientist, I'm an immunologist. 
but but generally they're specialized neurons that help us learn by watching and they're very important for things like medicine you know the phrase c1 do one teach one c1 is your mirror neurons that's how we learn yeah and it's basically the similar part of the brain that's firing that would be firing when you're actually doing the task and exactly. so so you get that same response by watching and a lot of the studies on mirror neurons have been on empathy. And so when you see somebody who's hurting or you see somebody who, who feels pain, that's how you're able to be empathetic that we, we believe that's how you're able to be empathetic and feel those same feelings yourself. Yeah. And, and you know, if you see someone complaining, your the mirror neurons associated with your feelings of complaining are going to fire. So the people that we surround ourselves with is incredibly powerful in how it, it changes our mindset. Um, so we've been talking a lot about how, how this culture of complaining can not just really ruin your own perspective, but maybe also the perspective of others in your, in your immediate circle, professional circle. Um, but Caleb, why don't you start us off with an alternative? Yeah, so in this episode, we wanted to introduce you guys to an idea that we're going to spend the next two episodes talking about. And that's Viktor Frankl's idea of tragic optimism. So in this episode, we're going to talk about tragic optimism as a possible antidote to complaining in healthcare. And then next week, we're hoping to look at how tragic optimism can teach us about finding our why and leading with why. But to give you guys some background on Viktor Frankl's idea of tragic optimism. It comes from the book, Man's Search for Meaning, which Viktor Frankl, Viktor Frankl, some background, is a psychiatrist and a neurologist. And he was in Germany during World War II and ended up being put into a concentration camp and had these horrible things happen to him. He was transported to multiple concentration camps and it, he ended up having a lot of his family members who were killed in World War II by the Nazis. And during his time in these concentration camps, he decided to, to use his skills as a psychiatrist and as a neurologist and think about what was it that helped some people survive and some people thrive in these horrible, absolutely terrible environments. And what was it that, that allowed some people to be able to push through? And one of the ideas was tragic optimism. And it's, the idea is kind of summed up in a quote from Frankel's book, one of my favorite quotes from, the, from his book, and it says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And so what we wanted to talk about is how this idea of being able to choose how you're going to respond to situations allows us to choose to not complain even when life gets hard and even when we see hard things happen in healthcare. So Caleb, I think I definitely uh, feel the magnitude of this idea of tragic optimism and it's definitely something I reflect on a lot. But for those listeners who haven't really explored this idea or don't really know this idea, um, how, how can it be as simple as choosing your, your attitude? You know, like, like bad things happen things are frustrating but how can somebody really just like embody tragic optimism yeah so you mentioned choosing your response there's a good shakespeare quote and i don't know if i'll get it exactly right but it says something along the lines of 
nothing is either good or bad, only thinking makes it so. And so that kind of goes along with the same idea that, you know, things happen to us. You know, yes, things that normally could totally mess up our day and put us in a bad mood, but we have the power within us to choose how we want to respond to these situations. And we have the power to see the positives, even in the negatives, or even if we see a negative, we can instead think about, okay, what can we do to change this negative situation so it doesn't happen in the future? And Peter, I know one of the things that you brought up when we were talking about this episode, it kind of goes along with this as well. And it's going to hint at what we're going to talk about next episode is the idea of having a purpose and having why and how might that contribute to tragic optimism and complaining as well. So Peter, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so it's, I think one of, at least the way I understand tragic optimism and this sort of mindset of choosing how you feel and respond to things, it comes a lot about, it comes out of what your priority is or what is the thing that you're working towards. So I was reading the New York Times the other day and I thought it was funny that I stumbled upon an article that talked about tragic optimism. Um, so Caleb, I wanted to ask you, did you, do you feel like COVID has been a hard time for you? I think it's been a hard time for everybody and it's affected people differently, but I think everybody in society has kind of had a shift in their priorities or a shift in how they are able to do life because of COVID. Yeah. And I definitely wouldn't say it was easy for me either, but I was saying from the very, not the very beginning, but once COVID kind of became a reality and we were all locked down, I felt that I started to really thrive during COVID. I was being very productive. I was able to balance not just the responsibilities of medical school, but I was able to build in a system where I was able to, I was actually more productive during, during my research. And I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say that I was, you know, bouncing off the walls giddy the whole time. But I think what really helped me is not trying to seek happiness. And right around the time when it hit, I wasn't like, I was also going through some mindset changes myself, but not trying to seek happiness, but I was mostly focused on my purpose. And that's what we'll get more into the next episode is how to find your why and, and how this builds in with a perspective of a mindset of tragic optimism. Um, but ha this getting back to what we're talking about today, when you're, when you're coming from a place of purpose, you have more control over what you choose to feel when things go wrong or things go right. Yeah. And I think in medicine, we have a common purpose, which is something that we should fall back on when things get hard. And that's to treat our patients well and to improve their lives. And while, you know, many other facets of life, we might not know what our end goal is. As a healthcare team, our end goal is to improve our patients' lives. And so we have a purpose and that should be something that we fall back on when times get tough, when conflicts come up. And and we'll get into it next time too, but this is not an easy thing to do. Purpose is hard, but I, mean, I forget who said it. Something like the easy life is not worth living. Help me oh, out. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something like that. There've been many quotes about it, but I, I like the quote by Nietzsche that you put in our notes. He who has the why to live can bear almost anyhow. I think that's kind of sums up what we're, what we're really trying to say about this intersection of tragic optimism having control over your, your attitude 
and also finding your purpose. And I think this also plays into leadership really well. I was just in about that, to ask you. Yeah, and that and <laughs> that having a team who has a mindset that they can push through challenges and not complain is going to improve the efficiency of the team is going to decrease burnout you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just for physicians, it's a part a part of every person in the healthcare team. And so by being able to stay positive, to not complain, to work towards a common vision, it's going to help everybody in the healthcare team. And just to remind everybody that this is an inside out leadership episode. Um, so we talked about mirror neurons. We talked about how, how a culture of negativity can affect others and how your behavior also impacts the culture. Your, your behavior can impact the culture in a positive way. You can, you can start to embody this idea of tragic optimism and try to reframe the, the culture with which you're working in. You know, that's, that's the essence of personal development is being the best you you can be. I think as a leader too, if you have the ability to pick the people that are a part of your team, I know in healthcare many times we're not able to choose who's on our team, but sometimes physicians and sometimes other people can choose the people that they're going to hire or the people that are going to be a part of their team. And I think it's also a leader's responsibility to recognize the importance of not complaining and the importance of choosing people who have a tendency towards optimism towards positivity and not complaining to be a part of their team. This is reminding me of a book that I read a couple months ago called The Culture Code, The Secrets of Highly Effective Groups. Um, And they were talking mostly about like how, how, like what are the common features between these, the groups that they had and as case studies. And why I'm bringing this up is because if you're, if you're leading a group and you've cultivated a really strong and positive environment, it, it can withstand maybe that one bad apple who comes in and actually might even positively affect that person who joins your group later. Yeah, the, the culture of, of a team can definitely play into and shape how an, somebody who's an addition or a new person to the team integrates with everybody. Good, good cultures can fix bad people and bad cultures can break good people. I think that's kind of what we're getting at. Yeah, it reminds me of that idea that you are the summation of the five people you hang out with more most. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I haven't, I haven't heard of that. Okay, so there's this idea out there that's like the five people you spend the most time with, you're basically over time going to shape into, you know, a combination right. of all of them. So basically like environment shapes so much of who we are and and what we're able to do. So the question is, Caleb, when, when do I get your hair? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. You, maybe once you become a doctor, <laughs> once you become a doctor, you can start getting, getting plugs or whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> like when I can afford hair transplant. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, but I, I, I'm more serious. I wanted to ask, have you ever felt this in your, I guess, 20 odd years of living? Felt what specifically? Either either feeling like you joined a group that had negatively impacted you personally or joined a group that you felt really changed the way that you started to lead yourself in, in, for, in, a, in a positive manner. Yeah, I'll give you a great example of this. And it's not in medicine, but it's actually in, 
me okay. competing for CrossFit. And so one of the things that people always say in CrossFit is like surround yourself who are with people that are better than you because it pushes you and it makes you train harder. And so I'll give you an example. Recently, there's been a couple people who have come to our gym who actually make it to the CrossFit games a few times, which is like the Olympics of CrossFit. And I've been able to like compete with them and train with them recently a few times. And to just like see people who are a little bit better than you, it just pushes you to be better and pushes you to defy what you think is possible for yourself. And it goes the same way for, for, for a negative team as well. You know, if you're always hanging out with people that are bringing you down, you're not going to be as motivated to push yourself and to strive to be better. I think we talked about that a little bit in one of our previous episodes where I think you brought it up where you should have like friendly rivalries in all aspects of your life, like academically, spiritually, socially, and all your hobbies as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I definitely. Kind of, definitely those ideas are related. I agree. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about it. We've talked about complaining. We've talked about why it's bad for you, why it's bad for your group. We talked about tragic optimism a little bit. So what can we do to move forward, Caleb? What are some things that we can work on that will help us change our our mindset and the cultures with which we work in? So one of the quotes that I reflect on often, and, and it helps me recognize that I always have to start with myself instead of looking to others to change first. It's a quote from Zeno, who's a Greek philosopher, and it says, man conquers the world by conquering himself. And so Peter and I are going to tell you a few things that, that we think can help you be more positive and to complain less. But these are things that, that we've tried ourselves and that we actively work on to try to improve ourselves because we're not perfect either. You know, I still catch myself complaining and I still catch myself here, here and there having a negative mindset that I don't want to. And these are some of the tools that that I've used and some of the tools that Peter have used to help ourselves as well. So very practical one to start off. We're going to go through a few different ones that you can maybe use. It's called a rubber band trick. And it's something that I have done in the past. I did it during undergrad and I was actually shocked with um, how much I, I would catch myself because I was aware of it. And so what you do is basically you just get a rubber band and you put it around your wrist and I'll tell you what I did. And then, I'll tell you what Peter told me that you, <laughs> that you should do <laughs> afterwards. But basically every time you catch yourself complaining about anything, you move it to the other wrist. And so every time you're having to bring attention to the fact that you're complaining. And Peter, when we were talking about this idea, brought mine, up mine's that. A little more, mine's a little more masochistic, actually. <laughs> Peter uh, brought remember... up. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. I mean, if you wanted to share, it's okay, too. No, go ahead. Um... <laughs> When, the way I've heard about doing this, the way I've done something similar, it wasn't for complaining, it was for a different bad habit. Um, but I would wear, like, I had a, it wasn't like a rubber band, but it was one of the, like, hair ties, whatever. And same idea. So whenever I would catch myself, I would flick the rubber band. So it doesn't really just draw attention to the fact that I'm doing it. It also punishes me a little bit. It Some physically that, hurts. <laughs> yeah, negative, negative reinforcement. There you go. <laughs> but an, another thing you can do that isn't so... Uh, it's not as practical or painful or annoying um, is ask yourself, is there something you can do about it? And we touched on this a little bit in the beginning of the episode, but it's a very 
it's something that the Stoics talk about a lot is you, you do have the choice to step back and, and say, can I do something about this? And if you can't, you have to learn to accept it. And that's where I think this idea of tragic optimism really comes into is, is having, you get to choose your attitude of acceptance. And it's, it's not going to come easy, but it definitely will, it will come if you keep practicing it. And I think that gets into also, like, when you think about, like, the actual act of complaining, you don't get anything by complaining. You get something if you use that motivation and use that negativity to actually change the situation or to do something about it, like you just mentioned. And so if you use it as motivation, that feeling, that feeling of hurt or whatever the feeling is, as, okay, I need to change something and let me find out what I can change for the future then you're able to actually do something positive using that feeling that you got. The next tip that we have for you, and Caleb already kind of mentioned this one, is surround yourself with people that you feel like have the mindset that you want to adopt, or at least the mindset that you find positive. Um, you get to choose who you hang out with, so that's another piece of control that you can have over your, over your life and over the way that you struggle with the, the adversity that faces you as you go throughout a career in medicine. And one last mindset trick, a little bit more abstract than the rubber band trick, but it's thinking about every time you do something, most of the times, you know, you hear people complain and, and they say that they have to go do something. So I have to go talk to this patient or I have to go to the grocery store. But in every moment, think, do you really have to do that? Like is someone holding a gun to your head and saying, if you don't go do this right now, I'm going to pull the trigger. Like seems, seems aggressive. I mean, it is aggressive, but <laughs> it is aggressive, but it makes the point that in life you, you very, very, very rarely have to do something. You choose to do it. And so in every moment thinking to yourself, you know, if I'm going to do this, if I have to do this, I'm saying to myself that, the positives of me doing this outweigh the negatives of me not doing this. And therefore you're making the choice to do it. And so when you hear yourself, when, whether it's actually out loud or even in your brain thinking, Oh, I have to do this or maybe complaining to yourself, you know, realize that no, you're choosing and you get to do this instead and rephrasing it in your mind that way. will hopefully, allow you to realize that you have more control and you have more choice over your life and you don't have to gripe and complain. You're making choices that are shaping the actions that you take. I just want to add on one little thing too. You said that you get to do these things, that you have a choice, but we said it a couple of times in the show and at previous episodes, but being in this field is a privilege. So you don't only get to do it in the sense of the word that you choose to do the actions that you do, but You've, you get to do it because you've earned a place either in medical school or a nursing school or, or as like an attending or a resident, wherever you are, to, to do these things that other people would really like to do. And that to have that sort of responsibility of being in, a, in this position that, that physicians are in or nurses are in or anyone in healthcare is in. I love that you brought that up because if you put yourself in your shoes 10 years ago or five years ago, mm-hmm. how much would you give to be in the position, the exact position that you're in right now? And how much would you give to be able to get to do whatever you're going 
through and whatever you're going to do. And so using that, that mindset and that, that opportunity to reflect, I think is just so powerful Mm -hmm. and just reshapes the little things that you would complain about and the little things that you would normally say that you have to do. And this actually segues perfectly into our last point. Because you're in such a position of privilege and power being a doctor or a nurse or anyone in the healthcare field, you kind of owe it to other people and your patients to lead by example. And this will get us into our episode uh, next, next time about how do you remember your why and how do you really start to cultivate this perspective and mindset of tragic optimism and, and being a person who contributes to the positivity of the culture that you work in. Um, Cause we said that, you know, good cultures can ruin that or <laughs> good cultures can improve bad people. Bad cultures can ruin good people, but you could be the person that starts the movement to becoming a great culture. So that's why leading by example is always a very important thing. And to do that, you have to start from the inside out. So thank you for listening to this episode of Leading the Rounds. We'll see you in two weeks with Tragic Optimism Part 2, Leading from Your Why.